and uh, thank you for that song. What a great help, what a blessing. Open your Bibles, if you will, to second, uh, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 this morning, and uh, we're going to be here this morning, and then uh, 1, Thess- 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 tonight. I don't know why I'm struggling to say first instead of Second Thessalonians this morning, but uh, first is where we are. So First uh, Thessalonians, the end of chapter two, kind of today, uh, this morning, and then the beginning of chapter three tonight, and just kind of pulling some things out. Uh, and I really want to preach uh, throughout the day today on living in the last days. I don't know exactly where we are on the timetable of the last days, and anybody who says they do know exactly where we are on that timetable, don't listen to them because they don't. But the reality is we know as an absolute fact that we are living in the last days. We know that uh, there could be much time left uh, in the scope of of our view of time, and there could not be a lot of time left. Uh, But we understand today that there are many of the things that are happening in Scripture we can see, and uh, we understand there will be perilous times in those last days, and we're seeing some perilous times, some things that uh, certainly can be heart-stirring, and uh, I just want to encourage us today, it's not a time to be discouraged or to feel like uh, we're in a place of defeat, but rather to remember that Satan's going to win some battles along the way, but God's already won the war, amen? And uh, the war is over, the war is done, he won it on the cross of Calvary. And so today we're going to jump in here, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, and beginning in verse number 10. Let's stand together, if you will, as we begin to read this morning. It says, "Your witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye should walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sin alway, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Father, I pray that you would make application to our hearts today. I pray that you would speak through your word and through your servant, and I pray that you would be pleased with everything that is said, everything that is done. Lord, would you help us as we live in uh, the last days, that we would live in confidence, that we would live lives of boldness, that we would live lives that are built and founded upon the word of God. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we are watching our world change really all around us, certainly in America, 
uh, but really even just globally as we look at some of these things and we watch the changes that are taking place, we recognize that we are indeed moving further into the last days. It's been said, uh, you know, by some that uh, we must be very close to the rapture. Surely within the next uh, days and weeks we will surely be there. And yet the reality as we look at it this morning is we don't know. We could be a thousand years from the rapture yet, and we understand a thousand years in, uh, in heaven's time frame is like a day on earth. And uh, so we understand that would not be a long time for God. And so a thousand years is what it could be, and nobody knows if it is or not. There's nothing that hinders it from being longer. By the same token, there's nothing that says that the rapture may not happen tonight. Everything is in place. Everything is done that needs to be done. In fact, there are no signs really of the rapture. They're of the second coming. So the signs that we look at and say we've got to be close, we're at least seven years closer than what we are seeing the signs of. And so uh, the, the reality is that we are moving in that direction. We are watching some of these perilous days that are uh, forming and taking place. We are seeing some of the things that are uh, entering into even our nation and certainly around our world. We're watching a globalization of the world uh, that is taking place. And, and some of that is concerning, some of that's exciting because we know that's all part of what the scripture says is going to happen. And, and so we're watching these things. We are watching, uh, and if you watch the headlines too close, you get discouraged. But if you watch them just enough, uh, you kind of start seeing that the headlines of our day and the things that are foretold in the Word of God, there's an awful lot of similarity there. And we are more and more and more seeing those things. More and more we're recognizing how some of the things of Revelation can take place. Uh, it wasn't too long ago that they were saying, well, I mean, how would everybody in the whole world be able to see some people for three days? And then we had the TV and they said, well, okay, they could broadcast it on TV. Now we know you can just carry it around in your hand and you can watch them constantly for three days if you need to or feel like it uh, on a cell phone. And uh, that could happen tonight. And so the reality of it is we look at it and we say, you know, I don't know where we are on God's timetable. I don't know how far we are into the end time. But I do know that we are in those days that are called the last days. We have been for a couple, hundred, uh, for a couple thousand years now. And uh, we are certainly considerably further into them today than it was 2,000 years ago. And they may be standing 1,000 years from now saying, well, we're a lot further than they thought they were then. Uh, but one thing we know about the last days is there will be some trouble. There's going to be some things that will uh, shake hearts. There's going to be some things that will shake faith. There will be those even who have uh, at one time been solid in their walk with God and faithful in their walk with God who are going to struggle. And they're going to come to places of doubt and they're going to come to places of uh, having difficulty just moving forward in serving God in these last days. The scripture speaks a lot of it. Paul spoke a lot of uh, being bold and living a life of confidence, even in the times where that may not be what's natural and that it's uh, not our surroundings that give us that confidence, but it's the word of God from which we derive confidence and that it must be the word of God upon which we are settled. A friend of mine who pastors in Illinois is well known uh, around the country said this week, that uh, he has not heard the idea of a civil war in the United States of America so commonly and easily spoken of as he has of late. You know, we are living in a day that we look at our nation specifically, and we look around us and we say, you know, there's a lot of turmoil. 
There's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of situations that we could look at in our nation today and say, this is not what anyone would have anticipated even 10 years ago, really even probably two years ago. We are living in a day where we are watching change take place at an unprecedented rate. Uh, it seems as though things are moving uh, in an a, a interesting manner, at the very least, a strange manner. Uh, we have watched our world work together as we have worked through this pandemic. Uh, there are, are and, and almost in a manner as though there's a head of it. Uh, we have seen all these different things that are taking place. Now, I don't know... Uh, how much of the things that we are hearing will happen. We're hearing that uh, when this vaccine comes that somebody who refuses to take it may have a hard time working and there are many that are fearful of that. And we're hearing that uh, you may not be able to fly on an airplane without a uh, thing on your app on your phone that shows that you've actually had the vaccine. And uh, I was speaking to a pastor that is uh, well-known around here just earlier this week and well-respected. And he said, you know, I'm uh, looking at it and thinking I may end up having to cancel some uh, preaching engagements here later in this year uh, because of the fact just not being able to fly on an airplane if I don't choose to be one of the people having this vaccine. And, and you know, there's just a lot of concern. There's a lot of these elements. And we don't know all of what will happen or what will come about. But we do know that we have to be prepared to live in the last days. And the reality is that's not a bad thing. It's actually an encouraging thing. And it's something Paul was talking about 2,000 years ago. So it's not something that we're saying, oh, no, we're looking and seeing all these things around us. Uh, but it's something we can look back and see the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago writing to the church of Thessalonica and saying, hey, you need to be prepared to live in the last days. It's something that we can go back in American history all the way to our founding and see that this was a topic that has been preached about over the last 50 or 60 years, a topic that has been uh, very common. It's not a new thing. It's not a reaction to our culture and the shifting that we see. But as we see the shifting, it is important to come back to uh, passages like this and say, hey, let's make sure that we are founded, that we are rooted, that we are prepared for living in the days in which we are living. And so I want you to notice with me this morning three truths which Paul gave to the church of Thessalonica to help them to prepare to live in the last days. First of all, I see that he gives to them a personal reminder. A personal reminder. He's going to say to these people, look, now, uh, there are some things that you need to remember, and they are on a personal level that you need to make sure you don't let these things slip as you go. In verse number 10, he said, you are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Here we, receive, we see a reminder of past examples. Here's what Paul's saying to them. Listen, you're, you're going to live through some things. And you're going to go through some trials and you're going to have some difficulties. And, and by the way, there's never been a history or a period of world history that a generation has lived through and not had some trials and some difficulties. And so Paul says, listen, uh, church at Thessalonica, you're going to encounter some struggles. In fact, you're even now in the midst of them, we find, in the course of the book. And, and he says, you're in the midst of these things. You will encounter more problems. The problems are not merely going to go away. And so in the midst of all of this, remember the past examples of faithfulness. Remember how we were when we were with you. Wouldn't it be something to have had the Apostle Paul be the one to plant our church? Wouldn't it be something to have the Apostle Paul then write a letter back and say, hey, remember how it was when I was there? 
and then to realize that this letter he wrote is actually the Word of God. It was an inspired letter. Uh, this is quite a, uh, a deal. If you're the church of Thessalonica, they're receiving the letter from, in essence, their founding pastor, and uh, he is writing back. He's trying to encourage them, and he reminds them of these past examples. I'm reminded of Hebrews 12, uh, 1, where it says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, and the rest of the verse is there, and I'm so thankful that uh, over and over and over the Apostle Paul would speak of, and uh, here in the book of Hebrews we find this reminder, there's a great cloud of witnesses. There are many who uh, we need to remember and we can look back on, and, and it's a great time to remember those of the faith who have been faithful through trial and faithful through trouble and faithful through shifting sands. And we can look back and see uh, whether it's Nazi Germany, whether it is in Romania during the Russian occupation, whether it's in Russia itself. People who just stood firm and they were just faithful and they just kept on going. And, and in the midst of cultures that changed completely, they were faithful. And you know, our culture has not changed to the extent of many of those or any of those at this point. And it is not a time to step back and say, maybe we just need to recalibrate. No, 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 it's a time to say, let's press on in faithfulness. Let's go forward. Let's keep marching because we are marching to Zion. James chapter 5 and verse number 10 says, Take my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction with patience. Uh, and of patience. We see here that we can take these examples and we ought to take these examples. We ought to go to the Old Testament and take the examples of the prophets. We ought to come to the New Testament and take the examples of, uh, of the apostles and those who were faithful. We ought to come to uh, the history, church history, and take the examples of those who have just been faithful in service to God. Paul writes to him, he says, hey, remember, there's been some past examples, and there have been those who have been faithful. And, and I just want to remind you that this isn't a time to get stirred, and this isn't a time to change everything, and this isn't a time to look for all new ways. And I understand there's technology, and, and there's nothing wrong with using new methodology in some of those elements, and yet the reality is there is something wrong with going to a whole new set of doctrine and a whole new way of uh, thinking. And, and uh, this idea, I've heard it out there, and you probably have too, that we can gather and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together online. I'm sorry, but that's not what the verse says. We're supposed to gather physically. It's vitally important that we understand we cannot stay in an online format all the time and be obedient to the Word of God. And that's why as quickly as we could, we came back to church after this latest outbreak. And, and uh, some said, well, maybe it was a little too fast. But the reality is we have a responsibility in these last times to say, hey, let's just stay faithful and let's just keep going. And, and we'll do what makes sense. We'll use some common sense. We'll try to be wise on some things. But we're not going to try to shift everything. We just need to be faithful and consistent to this book. It's not a time to look for something new. It's a time to just stick with what God says. It's a time for faithfulness. Paul says, hey, let me give you a reminder of past examples. Then he says, secondly, let me give you a reminder of past exhortation. Let me remind you some things that I've told you before. Uh, let me give you a reminder of these exhortations that have come to you in the past. And in uh, verse number 11, he says, as ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. You know, on the surface, this sounds pretty gentle, doesn't it? 
I mean, we exhorted, but we also comforted. And there was all this, this caring and this gentleness. And, and there's this, this reminder of what they had exhorted them, what they had challenged them with. Here he says, uh, we exhorted, first of all. The word exhorted means to encourage response or an action. It's speech that re- encourages a response. So Paul says, listen, when we were there, when we came in and we planted the church, and uh, by the way, you can look at it this afternoon, Acts chapter 17 is when they came in and uh, in essence started this church and uh, people started being saved and it was an exciting time, but there were problems here right from the very beginning. I mean, persecution entered in before there was really even a church that was established. And, And so Paul's saying, listen, all the way back to there, we were exhorting you. The things that we said, they were for the purpose of getting you to respond. They were for the purpose of getting you to to live out the word of God. This wasn't, we didn't just come in with simple, easy words. We came in with words that were challenging your mind and your heart. We came in with some exhortation uh, to you. And so he says, we exhorted you. And then he says, we comforted you. Now that word, we look at that word and we say, all right. So what does it mean to comfort? That probably means he wrote him a nice card. And he dropped it off, maybe with some, you know, cake or something. I mean, that's what comforts me. Really, ice cream is what comforts me. And uh, so he probably said, you know, uh, I'm going to bring by a carton of ice cream. And I really just want to be a blessing. And I just want you to know how much I love you. That's what we the word comfort. But this word comfort, it means to give emotional strength uh, or to encourage. But, but really, it's the idea of Uh, that he's coming in, and he's coming into these people in a time of difficulty. There's all this persecution, and he's, he's in essence saying, now look, don't quit. So yes, there's encouragement in it, and he said it in a gentle way, I'm sure, but at the same time, it was also an element here in this, in this idea of comfort that what I'm doing is I'm not just trying to make you feel good. And, and yes, encouragement can do that, but really the encouragement, it's for the purpose of giving you the strength to stand. And so it's not just about how you feel. It's not just about making everybody have a, a, a warm, fuzzy feeling and all oh, things are great. No, no, no. Paul says that's really not there. And in fact, if you look at his ministry, you never really see that. What he's saying is this, this comfort that comes, it's an encouragement to stand no matter what comes, no matter what the situation, and specifically for this church to stand in the middle of a whole lot of problems. And so, yes, there's comfort, but the comfort is... Hey, just keep standing there. And you know, wouldn't you like sometimes for the comfort to be, let me fix your problem? And yet so often the problems, they're God-ordained. Paul understood the goal wasn't to fix the problem for the church. That wasn't the comfort they needed. What they needed was, hey church, there's going to be problems. Hey church, there's going to be difficulties. Hey church, there's going to be persecution. Just stand. Let me encourage you in that. So he comforted them in this sense of giving emotional strength to continue to stand in the midst of the difficulty. He exhorted them, he comforted them, uh, comforted them and then he charged them. Uh, to charge means to bear witness or to assert. Uh, it, it is as offering firsthand authentication. So it's as though Paul shows up and he says, now listen, I want to exhort you to do some things. And I want you to respond to that by doing them. That would be to get saved. That would be to uh, live a life of faithfulness. He's going to challenge them in those areas. Then I'm going to try to comfort you. I'm going to try to give you the strength to keep going in the midst of the trials and the problems. Don't stop. Don't quit. But now let me charge you some things. 
Let me give you some things that here's what I'm doing. I am telling you these are true. I am telling you that I've seen them with my own eyes. I am telling you that they are verifiably factual. I am telling you that this is just the way it is. And really, it's the word of God. He's saying, look, this is not something that needs to be questioned. These things that I'm writing to you, they're not something that uh, we have to kind of figure out. No, no, no. They are absolutely verified. And so he says, look, I'm speaking to you with authority. I'm charging you. Don't slow down. Don't stop. Now is the time to go forward, church at Thessalonica. And so Paul is charging them. Paul is comforting them. Paul is exhorting them. And he's reminding them, remember how I did that last time I was there? Remember how I did that when all this started there in Thessalonica and with the house of Jason and all the different things? Remember how all that was? Now, it hasn't stopped. So let's keep going. Remember the past examples. Remember the past exhortation. There's exhortation that that is required here. But then he says to them to remember their present enlistment. You see, he says, now in the past, there were some examples you need to remember. And in the past, there was some exhortation. Don't let it slip. But now wait a minute. That wasn't all given to you for then. But presently, you are currently still enlisted in the army of the king of kings. You are now a soldier. You are now somebody who needs to be faithful. Remember your present enlistment. Look at verse number 12. He says that ye would, here's why we gave all that, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. This wording here, uh, that ye would walk worthy of God. Walk worthy means to behave in a fitting manner. So he says to these believers, now listen, we did all that when we were there before. That was past, so that in the present, not just today, but tomorrow, when tomorrow's the present, and the next day when that's the present, that every day, all day, that you would walk in a manner that is befitting of your walk, your relationship with God, that's befitting of your standing with God, that is befitting of who God is, that everything about your life would be befitting of Him. Are you walking in a befitting manner? He says, yes, there's some things to remember from the past. But don't just remember them, bring them into the present and live in this manner. And I ask you this morning, if Paul was writing this letter to you, would you be able, as you uh, were reading the letter, to say, yeah, I'm walking in a manner befitting of God. That's the desire. None of us is perfect. We understand that. And that's the manner, really, that's befitting of God. But are you walking in consistency? Are you walking biblically? Are you walking in a manner befitting of or or that would well picture your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Why? Why would we do this? Because he's the one that called you. That's what he says. So he says, listen, you need to walk in a manner befitting of him because of the fact this really is not about me, church. It's not about what I'm telling you, but it's about the one who called you. He's the one who hath called you. And notice what he called you to, unto his kingdom and glory. His kingdom, that is the domain in which he rules and reigns as the sovereign king. So he says he's called you to be under his authority. He's called you to live in his kingdom. He's called you to this thing called the kingdom of God. Uh, What is the kingdom of God? We know it's a kingdom to seek. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, the things of this world, shall be added unto you. We know that it's a kingdom to seek. 
It's a kingdom that we ought to be uh, looking for. It's a kingdom that we ought to be focusing on and focusing on the things of God, the things of his kingdom. Uh, Romans chapter 14 tells us that it's a kingdom that is beyond this world. It's beyond the world's understanding. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Remember in the uh, early time there, as Paul was writing to these believers in Rome, they were having a big battle over this meat and drink stuff. He says to them, look, it's not about your battle between you and your preferences, and it's not about all that. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. When the kingdom of God is our focus, then those things become our reality. And, And so he says here that it is beyond this world. It's beyond the understanding of this world. It's something only the believer can really understand and grasp, because only through the power of the Holy Ghost can we have righteousness, peace, and joy. Then he says that it's a kingdom uh, that must be inherited. This isn't a kingdom that we're just going to uh, physically move our location to. It's a kingdom inherited. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 50. Now I say, brethren, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption and corruption. Aren't you glad it's it's a place that one day we will inherit? We'll inherit it because he's our father. We'll inherit it as joint heirs of the son. What a reality to be a joint heir with Jesus. That one day, we're not just going to live in the kingdom, but we're going to be part owners of the kingdom in a sense. I mean, we're going to be co-inheritors. And we're going to rule and reign together with him. What an incredible reality. What an incredible truth that this is not just something that's for now and for here. Every other kingdom, it's just a kingdom of this world. Every other kingdom has uh, a ruler who rules in, uh, with some flaws and some difficulties. And they, they have a ruler who has problems. And, and every ruler has shortcomings. Amen? But that king won't. When we get there, we will be in a place and we will inherit with him the kingdom of heaven. We will inherit that kingdom of God. And what a day that will be. It is a kingdom that we are seeking, that we are awaiting. Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 10 says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven, uh, a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. What a day when we get to watch as Satan for the last time is cast into that fiery furnace uh, or lake of fire as we watch the destruction for all of eternity of him. It says then that's when we're really going to be able to cry out and call out and sing out. The kingdom's established. The enemy has been destroyed. It's all been done. It's all over. He's been cast into that bottomless pit and he's been locked away. What a day. What an opportunity. What a day to rule and reign with Christ. But it's not going to be about our position. It's going to be about his kingdom. It's going to be about his place. And so I see here that we are called to a place. It's a place that we are looking for, the same place that Abraham was looking for, uh, that that its builder and founders, they're not of this world. And, and, And so we understand that that's our focus and that's our labor, and yet we will not arrive there for a little while. But then he tells us not only are we called to his kingdom, but he says uh, then, verse number 12, called you unto his kingdom and glory. The kingdom, that's the place, but his glory, that's a position. 
It's a state of high honor. It's an amazing statement that God would call us to the very honor which he himself knows, the, the, the very glory that we are uh, somehow allowed to be a partaker in his glory. And we understand he doesn't share his glory with any other. We don't have the very glory, that element of the glory of God uh, that that would be talking about. And so we are not glorified on the same level as God. I want to be very clear there. But at the same time, he allows us and he calls us to be a partaker in his very glory. And, and you say, well, how does that work? I don't know exactly how it is that he can allow us to even be a part of that because we're sinful, we're fallen, we fall short in so many areas, we have so many problems, and yet he says, I am calling you not only to my kingdom, the place, but to my glory. And this word glory, it comes with this idea of a state of high honor. It comes with the idea of a position of glory. Uh, Romans 15, 7 says, Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And so we get to be a, an element of a part of that. We get to experience, or, or we will get to uh, realize his glory. We'll be elevated to that position in heaven that we are, are not like him. But yet we get to experience something so far beyond what we can even begin to imagine that we really can't even put into words what it must be like to be there and to be around the throne and to be in the very, the very center and the very place of all of his glory. We're called to that. This is now walk worthy of somebody who's one day going to enter into the very presence of God and be a, a part of the very glory of God. And somebody who's going to be called, who's been called into his kingdom, walk in a manner that's befitting of that. That's a pretty high order. It's a pretty tall task, but that's what we're told to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, whether therefore ye to drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. His glory, that glory that one day we will get to know in a, an even more real sense, his glory must be the motivating factor for everything we do in this life. That's how we walk worthy. That's how we walk uh, befitting of this life that we've been called to, is everything we do comes back to, I'm motivated by the very glory of God. I'm motivated by what he has said. I'm motivated by what will please him and bring glory to him because it doesn't matter if it's just as simple as eating and drinking or whatsoever I do. It all needs to be for his glory. So we see here that we need to walk in a befitting manner, a manner that would be pleasing to God, a manner that would bring glory to God. And we see that uh, here in this passage. And so we see, first of all, a personal reminder. Remember these things. Remember uh, that, that this is the way that we spoke to you. Remember the past examples and remember the past exhortation and remember uh, the present enlistment. You are now a part of this. You are now a child of the king. You are now needing to walk in a manner that is worthy. Paul says, as you live in the last days, church at Thessalonica, Make sure that you remember these things, a personal reminder. Then secondly, I see that persecution is recognized. Persecution is recognized. You know, Paul is not down, out, discouraged, and depressed kind of a person. In fact, we see him at times in very difficult situations, and he's very encouraging. The book of uh, Philippians is all about joy, and yet Paul's in a very difficult situation as he writes a book all about joy. And, and so he is not a down-and-out kind of person. By the same token, he doesn't try to make things just sound good all the time. 
You know, sometimes you get around somebody, it's like everything is bad. And it's like, oh, man, another problem. And they're just Eeyore, you know, another situation. Oh, woe is me. And you think, I mean, it's not that bad that it's, it's, it's wintertime. I mean, you know, it's, well, it's probably going to snow on the roads and I won't be able to drive. And then they get to spring and they say, well, there's no more snow and it snows so beautiful. And, you know, it's going to be wet. And I mean, it's just something all the time. There's always a negative. Paul's not that. Praise the Lord. Amen. But then there's some people, they're so positive. I mean, it's like, you know, there's seven feet of snow on the road. And they're like, <laughs> well, if I just had a, a snowmobile, I could get everywhere I wanted to go. And maybe I could make snowshoes. That'd be a great idea. And, and, you know, I mean, really, this probably won't affect anything at all in life. And I think this is going to be a wonderful day. And, and I mean, they're just, they, they're, they're almost unrealistic. And things come into life that are major problems. And they just kind of go, oh, that doesn't really exist. We'll just focus on this happy thing over here. And neither of those is helpful. Amen? Because if we never deal with the problems, then we never can move forward. And by the same token, if we're discouraged about everything all the time, then we're not going to have the, the excitement to move forward. So there has to be this balance, and that's what Paul finds here. He writes to him and he says, listen, now remember these things. Now let me, let me bring it to the present, where the rubber meets the road for you, Church of Thessalonica. There's some problems. And, and he, he just talks about it. And he's not talking about it. It's something to be discouraged about. But he's saying, look, you're in the middle of some persecution there. You're in the middle of some problems there in your church. You're in the middle of some difficult situations, and you've got to figure out how to move forward in them. So, hey, church of Thessalonica, uh, let me just encourage you a little bit along the way. Let me just try to be uh, a help with how do you handle these situations. And in verse 13 he says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Then he's going to go right into talking about this persecution. So he kind of has a, almost a segue here. He, he says, remember those things and the way that you're supposed to live. Over here, there's persecution he's going to deal with. In the middle, he says, now I am thankful about one thing. That when we preach to you the word of God, you received it as being what it is, that is, that it is the word of God. And so we're glad, we're thankful that you received it in that kind of a manner. Here's what I believe Paul's saying to them. Number one is that they had to, if they were going to endure the persecution he's about to talk about and that they're in the middle of, he understood they would not have been there even this long if they were not rooted and founded in the word of God. If they had not uh, received it right and, and really grasped it. And so I see here, first of all, this church was content with Scripture. They were content with the Scripture. They weren't looking for something else or something new or something better. They weren't trying to put their finger in the wind and find out what does the culture say and what kind of a church would they like to see us be. They weren't trying to figure everything out from those means. They just came to the Word of God and they were just faithful to the Word of God and they said, we're just going to try to win people to Christ and we'll just be content doing it the Bible way. And so Paul's commending them for this, for being content with the Scripture. Verse 13 is an interesting verse. It says here, in, in, uh, if, well, let's just read from the beginning. Uh, it says, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Now notice this, because when ye received, notice the word received, the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye, and notice the word again, received it, not as the word of men. 
the word received here is an interesting word. The first time that you see it in the verse, it's the Greek word paralabontes or something like that. It literally means to hear, to receive, or, or to receive authoritative teaching. Now, I only tell you this is what it was in the Greek so that I can tell you now it's a completely different word. Not the same root, nothing like it the next time we see the word received. So when we were there, you received it and you received it as. So the first word is authoritative teaching. The second word received, it's the word adaxiste. And it means to accept or to react favorably. So, so when we see those two words, we would read it as being the same, but there's actually a separate meaning here in these two words received that Paul is writing. And, and here's what he's saying uh, when we bring it back to that original way that he's saying it. He's saying, listen, when we came into Thessalonica and we began to preach the gospel, you heard well. You, you listened to our teaching. You gave us a good hearing. You received it in that manner. You received it as in you sat in a, if we were going to put it this way, a classroom type of a setting, and a teacher were to stand and teach, and anybody who's taught in that kind of a setting at all, certainly our school teachers, uh, know what it is to walk out of a class and say, wow, the kids listened great today. They also know what it is to walk out of a class and say, nobody listened at all. I mean, you know, it must be about to snow for the first time of the year. Nobody paid any attention whatsoever. And, uh, or to say, you know, 80% of the kids really listened well, but that one or two, they weren't listening at all. That's this word. It's how they're receiving teaching. But then he goes on, and the next word is the manner in which they actually received what they heard or, or actually grasped what they heard. You know, sometimes uh, you might walk out of a, a teaching type of a setting and say, they really listened today. And then you come back and give a test and you find out they, they sat well. They looked like they were paying attention to the chalkboard, but they didn't really receive what was being given. Other times you might walk out and say, they don't, I don't think anybody got anything today. And all of a sudden you find out at the test, they actually received it pretty well. Paul's saying here, you did both elements well. You heard well, you received the teaching well, but you also received it beyond that well. You paid attention to it, you let it come in and change your life well. So you've, you've received it, uh, that which we taught to you, that which we were speaking, the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. So when you internalized it, when you put it in, you didn't put it in with a, well, this is what Paul said, so, so I'll think about it. And that's how some would react, and even here in Thessalonica. They didn't put it in and say, well, this is the word of a man, and, and so it's worthy of consideration, maybe it's true. No, no, no. When you put that thing in your heart, when you put the teaching of the word of God deep inside of you, you received it at that point as it is in truth the word of God. Not, not the man, there was no hesitation, there was no, uh, well, maybe we need to come back to, no, 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 you just took it and you were absolutely settled and confident in the fact that it was true. And Paul's saying, I'm exhorting you. Good job, guys. You received it well. And he's not exhorting them because they received the word of a man. We understand that. But because they understood that it was the word of God that they were receiving. And, and so, uh, and we'll go a little further on that maybe tonight. But he, uh, he talks to them about you received and you received. And then he says that you received uh, that second time, it not as the word of men, 
Verse uh, 13, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. The wording there, effectually worketh, it means to function or to perform as expected when operating. So you might say, you know, uh, my car is not running. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. And a mechanic fixes it. They get it back to where it's performing as expected. And you say, oh, well, now it's doing what it's supposed to do. Now it's performing as it's expected. Now it's effectually working. I could drive to work tomorrow, praise the Lord. And so that's this word. It's doing what was expected. It's doing what it's supposed to do. In other words, as he writes to this church, he's saying the fact that you're faithfully following Christ, even through grave difficulty, without wavering at all, that's how it's supposed to function. Here's what he's saying. It's not unusual. It ought not be an, an odd or a strange thing for a Christian to go through fiery trials. By the way, we're not supposed to think that that's strange. So we, it, it shouldn't be strange for a Christian to go through fiery, difficult problems, whether it's as a nation or on a personal level, to go through those things and not waver at all. Paul says that's how it's supposed to work. That is the power of the gospel. When the gospel's doing just what's expected, that's the case. You're not wavering. So if you're wavering, then you're not having the gospel working effectually as expected in your life, at least according to the Apostle Paul, uh, according to the, uh, to the Holy Spirit who inspired it. And he's saying that's not the way it's supposed to work. There shouldn't be a shifting. There shouldn't be a wavering. There should be a steadfastness in the life of the believer. And don't think of that as, uh, and, and I don't know about you, I have a tendency sometimes to look at some of these believers in places like China and say, wow, the things they do, the things they go through, it, I mean, they're incredible. And, and there's, there's an okay element in giving honor where honor is due and some of those things. But the reality is the scripture is saying that's not an unexpected thing. That should be the norm of the Christian life. And you know, the, the danger in America is that we've had it so easy for so long that we've forgotten how to just live a normal Christian life through suffering, through persecution, through tragedy, through trial. We need some pressure. And, and it's not enjoyable, but it is necessary sometimes. And, and it's not a bad thing. Paul says this is what's just typical in the Christian life. There's problems, and you go through them, and you trust God, and you keep going. That's the norm when it comes to Christianity. And so we see here the Apostle Paul, he reminds them, persecution's going to be there. Persecution is recognized. And, and there's going to be some challenges, but you need to be content with the Scripture. Then he says to them, secondly, when these times come, when trials come, when problems come, don't just be content with the Scripture, but be consistent through the suffering. So now he's going to come down, after saying all that, to verse number 14. And we'll just finish here for this morning, pick up here tonight. But verse number 14 uh, through verse 16, he's going to talk to them about this suffering. He's going to talk to them about these problems, how they're being attacked by their own countrymen, just like in Judea, they were being attacked by their countrymen, the Jews, and, and they're contrary. These people are contrary to all men. And, and so here's what he says to them. You've become, verse 14, you've become followers of the churches of God in Judea. And, and that word followers, it means imitators of. So he's saying, look, just like they're in persecution and this is how they're handling it, so now you're in persecution and you're handling it in the same way. You've become imitators of those you had no desire to copy. But it was God's plan 
And so you did it. Ephesians 6.13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And that really is the idea here. Paul's saying, look, you've stood. It's not about all the other elements. It's not about uh, have you done this and have you done that and have you gotten this program started and have you gotten that one going. And It's really not about all the different ministries and all the different projects and every church will look a little different on some of those things. But really what it ought to be is when it comes to the gospel, we're preaching the gospel no matter the cost that we're just standing firm, that we're just being faithful, that we're just serving God, that we're just being consistent in him. Why? Because it's the way the gospel causes it to be. It's not because we're amazing. It's because this book is amazing. It's because the gospel is of power. We're saying, Lord, we don't want to be inconsistent. We want to be consistent no matter what may come, no matter what the situation is that may arise. By the way, I don't know how the world deals with major problems. If they don't know Christ as their Savior, they come to every life. I don't know how they deal with them. How do you go through the major problems of life apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, apart from the gospel, apart from the peace that comes? How do you go through the major problems of life and not just get blown about and and blown off course and off track in life? And how does your life not get messed up? I mean, the reality is consistency through suffering really requires the word of God. It really requires the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the most loving thing we can do is tell people that gospel and how they can have that kind of a life that is blessed even in trial. So we see here, the Apostle Paul tells them, you must be consistent in times of suffering. Um, And then he tells them that there's a provision for renewal. We'll see that tonight. There's a way to be renewed. There's a way when the suffering comes and the trials come and the problems hit, there's a way to be restored in the middle of the times when you're discouraged and you're down and you're not sure if you can go on. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that it's not just we're battling alone and if you get discouraged, you're probably done, but rather we can press on for the cause of Christ. A personal reminder. Let me ask you, what are the things that you've been challenged with in the past? What are the things that you've watched in the lives of others who have been faithful through difficulty or through trial? What are the examples you've seen or the exhortation you've heard that you need to go back and say, you know, yes, that was good for then, but I don't want to leave it in the past, but I need to leave it, bring it into the present so that I can walk with God as I ought to now in that manner that is, is walking worthy or walking befitting of my relationship with him. Maybe you just need to go back in your mind. Maybe you need to go back in your Bible or your devotions and say, Lord, would you bring some of these things fresh to my mind once again? Help me to apply them again so that we can press forward for the cause of Christ. And maybe today you'd say, Pastor, I'm in the middle of a trial, going through some things. Oh, maybe it's not persecution as we often think of persecution. But just like this church, it was outward persecution. That was their trial. Maybe you'd say, my trial may look a little different, but it's still difficult. It's still challenging. It's still something I need to be faithful in the midst of. Today, I need to come back to this place of saying, I'm not going to be blown off course in the Christian life, and I can't do that in my own self and my own strength, so I've got to get to the Word of God, the power of the Gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit of God. I've got to come back and say, Lord, in prayer, Lord, would you help me to stand? And and having done all to stand, stand there for Maybe today you just need to put some of that armor back on, Ephesians 6. Maybe today you just need to come and say, you know, I need, to, I need to stop being wavering, and I just need to trust 
and I just need to step forward by faith and walk with God through no matter what may come 2021, no matter what has come in 2020, it's happening in a personal sense right now in your life or, or a church or a nation or a world. But no matter what all those things are, Lord, would you help me to just stand firm, press forward for the cause of Christ. Maybe today it's just as simple as coming and saying, all right, Lord, I need help with that. That's what Paul's talking to these people about. How do you live in the end times? Remember some things. Press forward through the trials. Father, we love you.